So this morning, um, it's, a, it's a little bit unorthodox. In fact, you were probably expecting to see Michael Birchfield here this morning, as was I. And I, um, I was down here yesterday morning with a few folks, and we were doing some decorating in the church, and uh, I got a text from Michael. And in the back of my mind, you know, everybody is getting sick these days. There's just so many bad viruses around. And in the back of my mind, I dared to think the thought, but I didn't retain it in memory very long. What if Michael gets sick? There's the text. Brother, I'm so sorry. I'm sick as a dog. I'm not going to be able to preach. And uh, we talked a little bit, and he thought there might be uh, one of the guys on his staff that would be able to step in, and, and, uh, and uh, I commented that, that um, we'll just see what the Lord has. And, and then he responded saying, man, getting sick is such an interruption. And uh, I responded, that actually sounds like a pretty good Advent message. He said, go for it. So that's what I'm doing, is, is we're going to be looking at divine interruptions. And as you think about it, good night. The Christmas story, is, has there ever been an interruption in people's lives like the Christmas story? I'm sure you can guess at the definition. It's an act of delaying or interrupting the continuity of life, right? It's a break, it's a disruption. Some abrupt occurrence that interrupts an ongoing activity. And that activity is what we have planned, isn't it? Well, I certainly had one of those yesterday. It wasn't what I planned. And as I heard this morning, and I would just encourage you to be praying for uh, Carly and her husband Gabe, Jeff and Sherry Ruther's um, daughter and son-in-law. They were in a very serious accident yesterday, and Carly is, is in um, intensive care. I think she's been moved from trauma into intensive care, and things are, are looking in the right direction. But be praying for that. And as we think about uh, interruptions in our life, that's what they are. I mean, sometimes they're small and they're insignificant and we pass them off. Sometimes they're absolutely life-changing. And we're all familiar with those interruptions. And what's interesting is how we view interruptions determines how we're going to respond to an interruption, isn't it? An intrusion can be an unwanted trespass. It's external. It's outside of our control. It's unwanted. It can be an imposition. We can look at it as an unwarranted burden upon us, particularly if it's caused by somebody near to us that we interact with on a regular basis. It can be a distraction. It's a hindrance to what is important to me. It's a hindrance to what I'm trying to accomplish. It's a disruption to my life. And at the very least, it's a frustration of my 
efficient and productive plan, which I always have in my pocket. Have you ever had an outburst of anger? We ask inside your heart, maybe even a little rage at a disruption or an uh, interruption. Parents, I think you know what I'm talking about, right? It's no small thing. It can have a dramatic effect on how we live and respond to those around us. It directly affects our relationships, both with our family, our friends, our coworkers, but it affects our relationship with God himself. In a word, why do we, why do we see interruptions the way we see interruptions? And I think you could say primarily, you could just put a single word on it, pride. Pride. We see ourselves as, as, as self-important that something would interrupt our plans. It's an infringement on our, as we see it, our personal autonomy. Our ability to move through life exactly how we want to move through life and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And if I dare say, we see it as an attack on our, on our very sovereignty. In this day and age, there's a lot of talk about personal autonomy. In fact, that seems to be king in terms of importance. You dare not restrict anybody's personal autonomy to do what and when they want to do it. And that's what we see in the world, but do we see it as followers of Christ? That may sound strong. That may sound, Michael, that's perhaps a little over the top. James puts it extremely strongly. He says in chapter 4, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil, James says. But the truth is, we operate like this most of the time, don't we? We set our plans as if we are sovereign over those plans. We base our success on the craftiness, the ingenuity of our plans. And we tend to make no allowance for interruptions. And according to these verses, it indicates that we think we even have control over life and death, or at least we think it is so far beyond reach of us to have no practical consequence. And as believers, we are not called to live independently of God. 
That's where this becomes sin to us. Is that our, our, our approach to life, our attitude to the events and the interruptions of life, we, de- we detach from God himself. And I think in, turn, in, in some sense, we segment God into particular times and places in our life. We can oftentimes make him only part of our religious observance, like coming to church on Sunday morning. And in here, we sing great songs of God's sovereignty. We sing great songs of our hope for heaven, our hope for eternal things. And then we go home and we get mad that there isn't mayonnaise for my tuna sandwich in the fridge, right? I think I did that this week, so it came to mind. But God's sovereignty in our lives is limitless. Amen? But we so often act so contrary to that principle. But God is gracious. That, like all other things, is part of God's sanctifying process. And indeed, it's why he allows interruptions in our life, partly. It's to show us that we aren't sovereign, that we aren't the ones in control, that God is in control. But again, how we respond to that determines so much. And that's why when I got the text message yesterday and passing messages back and forth to Michael, it just, it just hit me so heavily, I mean so ironically, that, um, and I'll admit, a little bit of stress occurred when Michael said I'm not going to be there. And I thought, how much stress did Mary experience in her interruption? What was it like for Zechariah and Elizabeth to be confronted by an angel of the Lord? And Zechariah specifically in the temple. I can only imagine the scene, dark and moody. Of course, there isn't any overhead fluorescence. There's torchlights here and there. This is inside the, the temple. Smoke is wafting from the altar. And there's this being. That's an interruption. That's, that's a little more than mayonnaise. So that's what hit me as I thought, what can, what can I share with the congregation this morning and, and what I felt the Lord laid on my heart. So in, uh, in, in light of a few hours preparation, I, just, I ask as you're sitting there that you would be praying for me, that you would offer me grace in the moment and that uh, we can have a time really of meditating upon some elements of 
the response of these key characters as they, as they experience dramatic life interruptions. So let's look at Zechariah. Beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, not drinking wine, I'm sorry, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow, that's, that's an interruption. That's an interruption. And the amazing thing is Zachariah is actually able to verbally respond and not be absolutely stunned. So what do we know at this point? Well, they're an elderly couple, right? So in, in our culture, he probably would already have been Retired, he would he would long be removed from the ministry. But here he is; he he is he is serving, and he's serving faithfully. In fact, it says that um, they were both righteous before God, and that's important. This isn't an issue of sin in their life that they are out of fellowship with God. These are individuals that are deeply devoted to the Lord. It says they're advanced in years and they're childless. And interestingly enough, the inter interruption for Zechariah comes during his fulfillment of his religious duty. 
So he's not being disobedient. He's not, not attending to what he thinks the Lord would have him to be doing. He's seeking to be obedient. Well, Zechariah's response is interesting. He says in verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So, if you think about it, it's a little hard to see how he responds to this. You wonder, you wonder, are there missing words? Is there, is there a few other things that he said? Um, but this is, this is the angel of the Lord, and the angel says, I am the angel that stands in the presence of God. And what makes it all the more astounding, I think, is that, again, he is in the midst of serving God. His role is to bring offerings to God for the people of Israel. So his duty is quite literally supposed to be in interacting with God. And yet his response is such that he is shocked that God is actually responding. That God is actually doing what he promised to do. And his first reaction is to doubt God's ability to do what he says he's going to do. And I know it's easy for me to be up here and to, to throw poor Zechariah under the bus, isn't it? But the truth is, the truth is, this, this is, I think this is such a great picture of ourselves. We, we, we seek to be devoted. We seek to serve the Lord in the ways that we think he wants to be served. Indeed, that he has told us in some way that he wants to be served. But the problem occurs when we put God into that box and we we relegate him to a response, a particular response. And don't like it so much when he responds in a very unexpected way. See, the thing is, when we don't see life's interruptions as coming from God... we become a pragmatist, don't we? We start looking at things in a very practical way. We, we, look, at, we look at an interruption from a child as a child that's misbehaving or needs to be taught, and perhaps they, they do. But the lack of our graciousness suggests that God has no other purpose in it. 
In fact, God isn't involved in that at all. Or it could be another incident with a spouse, a need they have, a request that they have, and it's right in the middle of the thing I'm trying to accomplish. It's hard to do this with your wife sitting right in the middle. <laughs> but you know, the thing of it is, is that God is always working. God is always working in his children. We talked about sanctification in the very beginning. God uses, that's what it means. God causes all things to work together for good. Man, we say that verse over and over and over and over and over again. And then it doesn't occur to us that the event right in front of us is something God is using for my good. And I'll, I'll be fully transparent with you. I, I can be so caught up in, in, in a task list, particularly at church. I have to get this done. Sunday's coming. I have to do this, 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 and this. And I walk across the street and I'm confronted with a homeless guy homeless person, and, and, and I say that in that way because, because I, 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 my initial human ungodly response is not to see that person as a child of God or, a, or, or a, a, an image bearer of God. And to see that interruption as one, God is probably trying to teach me something. Two, God is giving me an opportunity to interact with somebody I've never had the opportunity to interact with before. And yet I see that as a disruption, a distraction, an interruption to my plans when all along God is saying, this is what I ordained for you today. This man, I wanted you to meet. And yet I think I'm all about God's work. And I think that's partly Zechariah's conundrum. This text, the, the chapter, I... I, I, I um, thought about reading all of Luke 1 and uh, so tempted to do so. It's, uh, but it's a, it's, it's a long chapter and I just wanted to pull out a few things that highlight this idea of an interruption in our life and, and to really think in terms of how we approach those interruptions, how it affects our, our relationships, and most importantly, how it affects our ability to serve the Lord. One of the most encouraging portions of Luke chapter 1 is, by God's grace, Mary's situation. Let's start with Mary's interruption beginning in Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent 
from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. Talk about an interruption. This more than likely is, is a 14, 15-year-old girl. That typically was the age of marriage back then. She's living in the Middle East. She's unmarried. And she's pregnant. I cannot imagine the fear that would typically be associated with all those circumstances coming together. And it makes Mary's response to the angel so much more inspiring. So much more encouraging. Listen to Mary's response. And yes, she had questions. She had questions. But she didn't challenge the angel. She says in Luke 1, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She submitted herself to God's will completely and the consequences of God's plan. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Oh, we pray we would respond that way to the Lord always, don't we? And then she says, Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, exactly, Lord, what you declare, I want that to be my life. And then the angel departed from her. So she did not, and this is the important thing, she didn't look at the interruption or disruption first pragmatically. I'm going to give to Mary. She, she had thoughts about some of the logistics moving forward that had to have affected her. But she didn't, first and foremost, think about this pragmatically. But she thought about it as an interruption from God himself. And just to, just to think about that, 14-year-old girl all these circumstances, and she surrenders herself to the will of God as proclaimed from an angel standing before her. God prepared her 
in a very powerful, specific way. So the question to us, does God have the right to interrupt our lives? Does he have the authority to intrude on our lives? Does he have the right to place his will, declarative will, upon our life? Recognize these things bring changes that alter or can alter the direction of our lives entirely. And she, she alludes to that when in verse 30 when it says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In one sentence, the entire Davidic covenant is brought to a 14-year-old girl. It's just amazing. And it means a complete change in her life moving forward. And oftentimes the interruptions in our life, and sometimes they're small, but sometimes they're cataclysmic. It will completely change the direction of your life. And the, 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 the risk or the Temptation is to see that as something wrong. Something has gone desperately wrong with the plan. And if we carry that sense out further, what does that mean? That means we, we can no longer trust God. He has, he has turned my life in a direction I did not want it to go. But when we trust in God, and we follow the direction that he leads our life, it's full of blessing. So what can we learn from this story and Mary's response? And here, I'd, I'd just like to take sort of a bullet point sweep through some portions of this text, and, and I think we'll be encouraged from it. Firstly, one thing I would say is in terms of life's interruptions. Sometimes your life is being interrupted and sometimes you're a friend of someone whose life is being interrupted. And I would say, be an encourager to the one being interrupted. God's purpose for you may not be 
in an interruption in life that God may, have, may be placing you in the life of someone else who has a dramatic interruption in their life. And he has purposely placed you there to be an encourager. And I see that in verse 45. And this is where Mary has gone to see Elizabeth, who was also pregnant six months in advance of Mary. And Elizabeth says to Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So again, these are difficult circumstances. And I, and I don't pretend to believe that Mary or Elizabeth was absolutely outside of the realm of material consequences that happen from these things. But Elizabeth, I so appreciate her as an encourager to Mary in that she is saying, God is in this. She's, she's reinforcing her own personal love for Mary, and she is saying, God is in this. And I think we miss it so oftentimes in difficult circumstances. And I understand, believe me, I understand, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And you don't want to come upon someone whose life is interrupted by great tragedy to say God's in control and walk away. Johnny Erickson Tata, if you're familiar with her, I think at the age of 16, had a spinal cord injury, and she became paraplegic at that young age. She has since then gone on to uh, be a Christian artist, singer, teacher of God's word. So many fruits have come from her life. Just phenomenal. But I was struck by a, a song that was introduced by her, song by Laura Story, and in that introduction, she's talking about Laura, whose husband just had surgery for a major brain tumor. And she's speaking to the church, and she says, she says, believer, don't offer God's truths like it's, it's, it's some... McDonald's box and plunk it down and say, consume this. You'll feel better. No, she says, come alongside that person. Plug your veins, your spiritual veins, right up to that person and embrace them. But it's in those moments that we can speak truth 
and represent truth. And, 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 and I'm fully convinced the wrong thing to do is to, is to seek to support someone by despairing before them. God's in control, yes. But more importantly, God is in this and will continue to be in this. And when, and when we, as believers, can be an encourager to those whose lives are interrupted in dramatic ways, we can be that angel that declares God's truths, God's hope, God's plan for someone. But it means connecting yourself. It doesn't mean throwing down a truth and leaving. In fact, one of the things she said that really struck me is Christian ministry is always sacrificial ministry. Be willing to serve. Be willing to encourage someone whose life is interrupted. And for us, we need to begin to see these interruptions as from the Lord. And I think it's a daily practice. It's a daily reminder. The world is constantly putting in front of us all the pragmatic reasons why things happen, right? And they're putting in front of us all the things we should be angry about why things are the way they are. But we need to begin to see things and train ourselves to continually see things as interruptions that are from the Lord. And when we see it as an interruption from the Lord, and I think what actually helps us in this text is looking at Mary's song of praise called the Magnificat, and in it, we see so many practical things that we can use on a daily basis to remind us, to encourage us that the interruptions in our life are not void of God. They are from God. They can be a source of great joy. Verse 44 for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Leaped for joy. That baby was joy because it was from the Lord. When we see it as from the Lord, it is a source of great blessing. When we see it is from the Lord, it produces worship. I love Mary's response in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. And when we see it is from the Lord, it humbles us. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. When we look at events as just pragmatic, uncontrolled, random experiences, we, we give God no glory. Not even be 
the opposite. But when we begin to see the interruptions in our life, the events, the challenges, the trials, as being designed and orchestrated, ordained by our sovereign God, it produces worship in our lives. When we see this from the Lord, we see God's larger purpose. And it, 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 when you're in the moment, it is really tough to look beyond that event, the immediate consequences of that event. And this is dramatic, obviously, this interruption with both Zechariah and Mary. But God had an enormous purpose. In fact, this was a key event prophesied over thousands of years fulfilling prophecy and covenants between God and his people that would ultimately lead to the salvation of God's people and the reconciliation of men to God through his son, Jesus Christ. But it's easy to look at our circumstances as small and insignificant. It's easy to look at those circumstances as as having no traction in our life or the life of people around us beyond that immediate event. And I, I, can, I can tell you our own family's experience. We, 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 uh, when our daughter went home to be with the Lord in uh, a year ago, October, and it, 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 it was an event that that, of course, we looked at, at at its immediate impact upon us personally, our personal loss. You know, and over the last year and a half or year plus, we've been touched by so many people that, that Maddie's life touched and her, her testimony and, and, and we can see that we, we had a dramatic interruption in our life that has had far-reaching effect in God's plan. And it's such a privilege, it's such a comfort to know that. She says in verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And when we see this from the Lord, we grow in wisdom, right? Mary said, fear fear of the Lord is the beginning, or Mary says, I'm sorry, in in, uh, verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
I don't think she ever missed Hebrew class. This little girl had, had equipped herself to speak truth. And when we see it is from the Lord, our interruptions, our disruptions, we see his power, don't we? She says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. When we see God interrupting, intervening, and accomplishing his purpose and his will in our lives, we just stand back in awe. We see his power. And we're transported from an earthly-minded, temporal mindset to an eternal, supernatural mindset where God shows his power and shows his strength. When we see it is from the Lord, we also respond with gratitude, don't we? I'm really good about giving myself credit for things. And when I accomplish the right plan and put together the right set of steps, things come together. Ooh, Michael, you did it again. You're good. But when we see that it is from the Lord, we respond with gratitude. He has filled the hungry with good things. Not my program, God's program. And when we see it from the Lord, we realize it's all grace because we know we don't deserve any of it. And yet he pours it out upon us. He interrupts our life. He intervenes in our life. He disrupts our life. And it's all because of grace. Help us, Lord, that we would not see it as your displeasure, but your love. I believe and promises us that when, when, when we are going astray, that God chastises us according to his love. Not because he's angry and wants to destroy us, but because he wants to rescue us. That simple parable, that lost ewe lamb, the shepherd leaves the flock and goes and rescues that lamb. Sometimes he has to rough him up a little bit, but he brings him back. She says in verses 54 to 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our, for, as, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So even in this, Mary is proclaiming that the Lord's interruption, the Lord's disruption is a huge, dramatic fulfillment of his faithfulness and fulfillment of his promises. 
And when we look at interruptions rightly, we see all human history from creation to the victorious return of Christ as one glorious, uninterrupted interruption. Does that make sense? It's not disjointed. It's not disorganized. None of it is out of control. When the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight, by default what that means is we mostly won't see what the Lord is doing, right? We place our faith in Christ and we pursue Christ, but a lot of times we won't see what the Lord is doing. And I've been so blessed as coming to the end of the year and, and, and I, I usually try and do a read through the Bible in a year, some kind of plan. And I, this year I did a, did a um, chronological study, which was really interesting because sometimes when you read the Bible, if you get through the whole Bible and you're just going book, 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 you'll read something and you'll say, boy, I, I, I'm sure I read that already. But... Much of the Old Testament, when you look at Chronicles or Kings and so forth, uh, uh, prophets, a lot of these stories are retold. But part of what that tells you is there's an awful lot of people involved in that story. You just look at when in, in God's final judgment on Israel and sending them into exile after centuries of grace and, 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 and uh, um, speaking to the people through many prophets in many ways. But one of the things you come across is, and if you, have, if you don't have an Advent reading plan, find one. If you want to email me, I'll send you one. But what you'll find oftentimes when you read through a seasonal Advent reading plan is six verses here about the Messiah, four verses here about a child to be born, son of David, verses here about Bethlehem, here. And what God is doing is he is continually whispering to us. He's continually whispering his plan of salvation to his people, if we will listen. And if we don't see these events as being ordained by our sovereign creator God, it's not going to have importance. We're going to sweep it away. But if we see them as ordained, fulfilled, purposes and plans of God, we will be comforted, we will give God glory, and we will see God in each and every event of our lives. And we will be in a place to be used by God. We'll be in a place to be fruitful for God. 
Pastor Michael Birchfield, I think a couple of weeks ago, he shared a, a excerpt from Paul Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And, and uh, I had, I, I talked to him about it afterwards, and I'll be honest, I, I had a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. I've never been able to get through it. You know, this is 16th century uh, or 17th century um, English, very difficult. I just picked up the wrong copy. If you'd like to read it, get a good modern English translation. And uh, he, had, he had gotten a copy from, from uh, Desiring God's website. So I got a copy of that. One of the treats about it was a very long biography of Paul Bunyan. So I actually haven't gotten to John Bunyan, I'm sorry. We, <laughs> I'm going on little sleep, guys, Grace. <laughs> and uh, so in the beginning, there's, there, there's a, a very thorough biography and, uh, and talking about his life. And the, the amazing thing is, he, so he was imprisoned twice. This is during a period of time in England where, where essentially uh, the church had a modest reformation, but they still had an iron fist grasp on the church. And unless you were licensed, unless you preached what they preached and preached where they told you to preach and how they told you to preach, you'd get in trouble pretty quick. And... and uh, God interrupted his life in huge ways. They said he, he ended up in prison twice, one time for 12 years. No small thing, having a large family, no other means of support, and, and the, the, the um, pressure and the weight upon him for how his family was going to be provided for. And one of the ways he did it was he wrote. He wrote things sold things, wrote books. In fact, he was one of the most, I didn't know this, he was one of the most prolific writers of the time. I think something like 53, 56 books. But during that interruption in his life, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which arguably church historians say, other than the Bible, is the most impactful piece of literature ever written for Christendom. And, and it happened to a man who had one of the most difficult interruptions of life and yet saw God's hand in all of it and allowed himself to be used by God, how God would use him in whatever place God wanted him to use him. I'm not praying for an interruption, but if God brings an interruption, I want to be used of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love for us. And Father, when we meet here this first Sunday of the Advent season. 
and we consider the birth of your son happening thousands of years ago. Father, we recognize then that there was a whole world that never saw it. An entire system that considered itself autonomous, sovereign, and in charge of their future. And Father, 2,000 years ago, you crushed that belief with the birth of your son with a purpose and plan for nothing else than sacrificing that son on the cross. That we might know you and have fellowship with you and live eternally with you. Father, we thank you for your interruptions. We thank you that your interruptions are bathed in the love of Christ. We give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.